having been down that road myself as a patient, I realized that it's only with being able to work together with other healthcare practitioners, both in the medical field and of course in the allied and in the complementary and in the alternative medicine uh, world, we are all trying to, you know, in a way, heal a patient. We're trying to look after the patient who's at the center of this equation. Essentially speaking, the patient is the VIP. I traveled, I lived abroad, and then um, when I was living in Australia, I visited a naturopath, and I really just loved that using medical knowledge and combining it with common sense, you know, and I thought, oh, this, this, is, this is the right fit. And went back to England for a bit, and then by that time, I'm kind of shortening the versions. The uh, BSc at, at, at Westminster, I, I was really lucky to, to slot into that window where that incredible course was available, which was really, really good grounding in, uh, in naturopathic medicine. Hello, and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today, I am delighted to say that I have two people joining me. They are Dr. Minha Rajput Ray, who is an integrative and lifestyle medical physician. She is a medical doctor, a registered osteopath, and a naturopath. She has a wealth of information, as does Lucy Peel, who is also joining us. Lucy is a registered naturopath and nutritional therapist. Today, we are going to be talking about communication and how we can effectively communicate to one another, to our clients, and also to those in the conventional medical world. So I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. Thank you, Minha and Lucy, for joining me today. It is wonderful to have you on my show. Thank you so much, Deb. And this is uh, Dr. Minha Rajput Ray, and indeed a real pleasure to join yourself and Lucy, Lucy Peel. Hello. Yes, I'm Lucy Peel. Hello. (laughs) Well, it's a long time coming, this conversation. We've had lots of chats beforehand, but today we're really here to talk about one thing in in particular, but we're going to be talking about the relationship between conventional medicine or medical doctors and complementary alternative medicine practitioners. And so, Dr. Minha, we're going to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about your background. And Lucy, we'll do the same with yours, just to give a little bit of history so people can understand what got you to where you are. And then we will get into more of the struggles that you have as individuals, as physicians, as naturopaths, and how we can, as practitioners, learn how to build and form a stronger relationship with one another, because we know that there are often sort of edgy bits between the two. We just know there are. Is that okay if we talk about that today? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Great. So, Dr. Minha, would you like to start and tell us just a little bit about your your history and what got you to where you are right now? Well, thank you, Deb. This is a real uh, delight to, to be able to join yourselves today. Uh, this is a combination of a, of a professional and a personal journey. So, um, as an integrated and lifestyle medicine physician, I have a unique focus on pain, chronic disease, and work health. 
And in a way, this has been quite a unique journey, uh, com combining you know, being a medical doctor and a registered osteopath and a naturopath, where I, I'm really committed to bridging uh, standard conventional medical care with evidence-based, evidence-informed holistic therapies and approaches. I actually had a major accident when I was 18 um, in London at one of the tube stations and uh, ended up being in a wheelchair at the time. Yes. And uh, what was interesting is that an, an osteopath who was also dual trained as a naturopath got me walking again. So in a way, I switched a place at what was going to be uh, a place at medical school at the time for a place at osteopathic naturopathic school. Yes. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me, to be honest, in hindsight. So uh, having qualified as an osteopath and naturopath, I was then encouraged by one of my tutors to um, apply into medicine and um, was able to therefore graduate from the University of Dundee. And then I obtained one of these very highly coveted um, NIHR Walport Academic Fellowships in Rheumatology and General Medicine, which I went on to do at Manchester and at Cambridge. Finally, I decided that I did not want to spend my life uh, perhaps um, prescribing biologics, so to say, for the rest of my career. And uh, I had a calling to then train in occupational and disability medicine, which then led me to looking after various uh, populations of patients, as in, um, in, the, uh, in the police, in the London probation, looking after people in the safety sector, corporates, um, manufacturing, and alongside this, I was able to serve as medical director of a nutrition education uh, think tank, um, NEDPRO, the Need for Nutrition Education and Innovation Program, which is headquartered in Cambridge and globally operational. So what I'm going to be um, describing today is very much in my capacity as a clinician, yet also being able to uh, work alongside colleagues as I have with the WHO, the International Labour Organization, auspices of the International Commission on Occupational Health. And um, how does this all come together to this conversation? Simply because um, I've recently started, as I said, being able to put everything together in the integrative and lifestyle medicine approach uh, under the, uh, the domain of uh, curate clinics. And this clinic specifically focuses on what I just said earlier on, pain, chronic disease, work health, guiding patients and their families and carers to really you know, explore the toolbox of evidence-based and informed options for what may be you know, to them a very difficult situation. I hope that it gives you a bit of a nutshell. Gosh, well, that's, uh, that's kind of a, a mouthful, don't you think, Lucy? I mean, I'm, there's just so much wow in everything you've done. And um, can I... Can I ask you, you said that you were sort of guided to go into things. Was it just something you did? You just felt like this is, I just want to do it. And you were led down these paths because it was just in you. Or was there something else that was driving you towards it? Or was, was it because you'd had your accident when you were 18 that led you further down this path? You know, that's a really good question. And um, I feel everybody has potential. And, and, and this is one of the reasons where um, I, as a doctor, uh, have seen many circumstances where sometimes people are written off, perhaps sometimes prematurely. And having been down that road myself as a patient, mm -hmm. I realized that it's only with being able to work together with other healthcare practitioners, both in the medical field and, of course, in the allied and in the complementary 
and in the alternative medicine uh, world, we are all trying to, you know, in a way, heal a patient. We're trying to look after the patient who's at the center of this equation. Essentially speaking, the patient is the VIP. And it's only in being able to work together and communicate and have that language that we can really make this happen. And as I said, um, going back to your question, uh, perhaps being through that journey myself, knocking at several doors to, to try to get myself better, really gave me a firsthand lived experience of this. It's interesting that you say, you know, because when you're talking about working together and to communicate to one another, and that's where we're going to eventually end up talking about is, is how we, we do that. But uh, so I, I love that you are, that's really one of your desires to do from your own experience. Lucy, can we hear a little bit about Hello. your... <laughs> I'm just so enjoying listening. <laughs> I just, I mean, before we talk about me, I just, I just, just to kind of share with your listeners that uh, Dr. Minhar and I have got to know each other in lockdown and just listening again to her story. I just, I just feel so inspired and honored to know you and, and just so fascinated and yeah, anyway, uh, gush it over, but <laughs> it's very mutual. It's very mutual, Lucy. Um, I, I want the listeners to know this and vote yourself and Deb. Oh, that, that's so kind of you. That's really kind of you, but I agree. It's a big wow. So, um, you know, it is impressive what you have achieved and, and, where you are, we know you are going to do great things. And, and I agree with you, Menha. Lucy is equally talented and she likes to underrate herself hugely. So we're going to force her. We're going to twist her arm. Very and, difficult. And make her tell us a little bit about her history. I know. It's very hard, isn't it? And I think a lot of your listeners will identify with this is that we do go into this world, don't we? Because we want to focus on the other person, not ourselves. Of course. <laughs> So yes, I I, uh, I find that that part of it quite difficult. But yeah, my my journey. Um, I well, I mean, for, yes, when I was about fifteen, I developed psoriasis, and obviously went down the whole usual route the uh, the covering yourself in uh, steroid creams, all that kind of thing. And it really affected me a lot at that age. You know, I was I was called a leper by the boys at school, oh. and it really affected my mental health. And when I got to university I was very depressed um, and I actually left uni for a little while went home and my granny who was very very into acupuncture flower remedies I mean she would have definitely done this if, if she had been able to um, but the constraints of being a woman in her lifetime but um, she said you're not right go off and see my my uh, acupuncturist who basically uh, we just ended up we're doing what we all do in our sessions. You listen to someone's story, what's going on for them. Um, I was at uni, I was eating rubbish food. She changed my diet. I felt so much better just having yeah. talked to someone. I thought, gosh, I, I want to do that one day. Um, but I'm not ready to do this now. I need to go and, and live my life and experience what people experience before I can give back, if, if that makes sense. So in my 20s, I was working in London, having a fun time <laughs> I traveled I lived abroad and then um, when I was living in Australia I visited a naturopath and I really just loved that using medical knowledge and combining it with common sense you know and I thought oh this this is this is the right fit and went back to England for a bit and then by that time 
I'm kind of shortening the versions. The uh, BSc at, at, at Westminster, I, I was really lucky to, to slot into that window where that incredible course was available, which was really, really good grounding in, uh, in naturopathic medicine. So I did that when I was about 30 and then worked as a naturopath and other bits and pieces alongside. And then everything, nutritional medicine has just ex- changed so much in the last 10 years. And I just thinking I just don't know what anyone's talking about anymore so I went and did my master's in uh, nutritional therapy at uh, at Worcester part-time alongside everything else and then meanwhile I also uh, started doing a little bit of work for Biomedica uh, the supplement company because I was using their products in practice and, and getting really good clinical outcomes and then their their rep in the UK went back to Australia, couldn't cope with our winters anymore. So I sort of picked up a little bit of work for Biomedica and it became a little bit more and a little bit more. And now um, I'm pretty much full-time for Biomedica doing uh, practitioner training. And I absolutely love it because I have this role where I meet all these incredible practitioners, yeah. but because we work in such a solitary way, I have this real honor where I can share other practitioners' stories with each other. Or I'm able to link people up with each other um, and do this other part, which I'm very passionate about, which is kind of like trying to keep us a bit more of a tribe. Yeah. Um, so, yes, that's me, hopefully, in a nutshell. It's the real naturopath in you still when you've got people and you're thinking about making those connections and pulling the whole in together and and helping people i can see exactly why and why you love doing what you're doing and and biomedica are very lucky to have you on board actually that you are able to connect the dots and help people in so many different ways from a a practitioner standpoint of helping their clients, but also from a supporting practitioners as well. So how did you, how did you two meet each other? If we, can we move on to that bit? How did you all run into each? Did you meet each other at a conference or was it? it No, it was, it was through Biomedica. So I think, um, yeah, I, t- I just offered Minha some some training. I think didn't I? Um, or she? I can't. I can't even remember. Or you maybe registered, and um, yeah, I was just doing training, and then and then we got chatting, and we didn't <laughs> well, stop. <laughs> you know, it's it's, and this is so true. Um, it's my curiosity, and let's put it this way. Um, I uh, I'm, I'm very very um, actually I'm very very uh, specific about this when I say this. I'm not a flow diagram doctor. And this is with due respect, of course, to my fellow medical colleagues who are obviously working in a system. And yes, we do need flow diagrams and we need algorithms. You know, I've always had a curiosity for, you know, other forms and out of the box ways to look after my patients. Of course, you know, you do it safely and you do it as per good medical practice. And that's what leads me to you know, being able to almost pursue, you know, um, avenues that are perhaps not traditionally, so to say, the case. And I think one of these uh, very, very beautiful avenues was, you know, being able to um, uh, link up with Lucy here. And we started talking. And it was really amazing when we started talking. And in fact, the subject of today's uh, podcast being, you know, the language of healthcare, where, um, yes, as, an, as a naturopath, you know, I can appreciate, you know, the whole concept of, you know, detoxing, for example. But if I put my doctor head on, you know, what, what does that mean? And, and that's what the, exactly started, you know, Lucy and myself having, you know, what was supposed to be, you know, a very basic conversation and, you know, perhaps a bit of signposting to start perhaps talking a little bit philosophically and, and also talking about 
not only the science, but also the art and the practice of medicine. Something that, you know, traditionally speaking, uh, should you say, you know, your GP years gone by would have been able to look after you from, uh, from the cradle to the grave, mm. hypothetically speaking. And the question is, you know, have we lost that connection in medicine? And is this perhaps what patients are looking for when they are seeking the advice of a, of a complementary or an alternative therapist or a practitioner for that matter? And, and of course, then we talk about, you know, how is it that, that the, the patient can, number one, get the best from both worlds, i.e. the conventional and the, the complementary or the alternative medicine world? And really, how can the complementary or alternative practitioner uh, liaise with the medical practitioner, if I was to use that terminology just for the purpose of this discussion, to, to get the best outcome for the patient? And, and this is where the whole concept of language, uh, having almost like a taxonomy of appreciation, mutual respect for, for, for what, what's happening. So just to give you an example, you know, when we talk about a healing crisis mm -hmm. and something that uh, is, is quite commonly talked about um, from certainly uh, naturopathic or perhaps, you know, an acupuncture and osteopathic or chiropractic, you know, so to say, remedy. And, and there could be other examples as well. We talk about um, use of certain herbs, for example. On the one hand, um, a, a healing crisis would be something that would be very much understood within the realms of our, you know, uh, colleagues who work in the alternative complementary medicine field. The question is, how do you explain this to a GP? How do you explain to the GP that, hang on, this is the body's way of trying to get back to homeo balance, homeostasis, uh, so to say? Over to you, Lucy. Um, well, I mean, I think I think that's throwing up a lot of interesting questions, and I think that the main one is um, I think both sides are guilty of this. It's that sort of learning by rote. So sort of sitting there and, and listening to everything you're taught, whether it's a medical doctor or a nutritional therapist or whatever. And, and, you, and, I, and I hear this a lot with practitioners. You don't question what you're being told sometimes and look for answers yourself. You just take that person at the front of the room and what they say is truth. And at that level of training you know, um, you should be questioning, you should be always looking for the other side and the other answer, shouldn't you? So so I often think and I often say in, in my clinic, because I don't think it's helpful for me to be anti doctors. If a, someone comes yeah. in and says, Oh, my doctor doesn't understand da da da. I just say, it's just it's just that they, ha they just haven't been taught this. They haven't been taught like this. Yeah. Yep. And, and I've learned a different way. And, you know, and even when I speak to, I spoke to a lovely doctor the other day and she was saying that she'd done the functional medicine training and it was almost, uh, she said it was just overwhelming learning this whole new way of um, how the body works and how systems work. And I was sort of talking her through more naturopathic um, understanding in our chat. And you know, to her, she's like, you've got to understand I'm completely blown away by, by this learning um, because it's a whole new world. Sorry to interrupt you. Can I ask you, did she say why she decided to go into the functional medicine training or to learn more about the natural? I think I'll just leave yeah. just because I don't want to reveal who that person is. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. No, that's fine. Well, I don't want to, I don't yeah. want to expose anything. It's just yeah. the curiosity of, of being 
was there something in particular that in, encouraged her to learn more about this with her, her mind being blown? I just find that really fascinating and exciting <laughs> that, that conventional doctors are thinking that they m might explore this more. Well, I mean, fr from the ones I've spoken to, and I'm sure uh, Dr. Minha will, ha will have more examples, yeah. and, and I've certainly referred people on to her, but when they contact me through my biomedica job mm -hmm. um, and we talk about, you know, the products, I've heard all sorts of things. I was talking to a, a surgeon the other day who I actually referred on to, to Dr. Minhard um, who said, you know, he was so fascinated with adaptogenic herbs and he was researching all himself and he was so happy to chat to me because he's being laughed at and, and um, you know, in his, his professional circles to be looking at adaptogenic herbs. So, so you, I think you have, the curious mind don't you but you also have you, the the kind of straight jacket of the of the the um thinking going on in in your in well dr minha will have much more information on this than me because i don't work on this side but it's the little snippet i guess of it she can probably answer the, the question a bit better than i can well, actually, I see a pattern here. And in fact, you know, you've both been able to sort of almost, uh, you know, peel back the, the layers of the onion. Curiosity. I think curiosity is one is one very important word here. And I think the other word is that an acknowledgement that, you know, medicine perhaps does not have all the answers. When I talk about medicine as in conventional medicine, you know, let's go back historically. We are, um, as, as, uh, as, as, you know, as, as humans, as, you know, a community, we have really evolved over the years, over the you know, thousands of years to rely on traditional systems of medicine. And, you know, this is all across the world, basically, whether you're talking about uh, ancient systems of Chinese or Ayurveda, um, or then you know, uh, ancient um, uh, shamanic medicine, et cetera, et cetera. Every culture has its medicine. Now, conventional medicine, of course, you know, is actually quite new. It's, it's, it's really the new kid on the block, so to say, <laughs> uh, colloquially. And yet what's interesting is that um, coming back to the actual uh, concepts of language and healing, going back to what Lucy has said, um, and perhaps um, in terms of people conventional medical doctors, you know, wanting to know more is because we are at a time in history where people are living longer, people are living longer, but the, perhaps the quality of life is not, is not as good. Um, people have more chronic disease. And of course, you know, conventional medicine, you know, no questions about this. If someone's had an accident, someone's got a broken leg, someone's got, you know, an acute um, uh, infection, someone's got, you know, uh, a heart attack. Uh, someone's obviously um, got something that needs immediate attention. Yes, you know, um, no question about this. Conventional medicine will do its job. The question is what happens to the patient in the medium to long term? And in fact, coming back a little bit, perhaps let's look at preventative approaches as well, you know, for the, for the metabolic, for the chronic cardiovascular diseases that we're talking about here. We're talking about diabetes. We're talking about lifestyle diseases. So in a way, it's actually quite a beautiful time in, in history that conventional doctors are seeking out other ways of um, looking after patients because we are appreciating that we all have limits of competence.
And I think it's only joining together with, you know, our colleagues in the complementary and alternative healing world that we can be able to get the best possible outcomes. And going back to perhaps um, language, uh, one thing that I must say, and that's quite um, important for me as a medic, is the language of not only how do we communicate, you know, within medicine, so physicians versus surgeon versus different specialty, but also the language and how we communicate, you know, with our colleagues in the complementary and alternative medicine world, respecting that, you know, that they have also had a training and that they have something to offer. And uh, not to forget the language that we use with our patients. So a simple example is, you know, a patient being uh, shown an X-ray of their spine and being told, oh, you have a crumbling spine. Oh, gosh, I've heard that so many times. And I think, you know, wherever we are, whatever stage of our training or, or experience we are, is that just being mindful of saying what we say to patients can make such an important point because a throwaway comment by a professional in any setting can, you know, can really, really have far-reaching um, unintended consequences. Lucy, um, I'm sure you must have you know, come across in your practice uh, such examples potentially on, on both sides. Yeah, I mean, I, it's really interesting, actually. I, I was actually thinking about what you said about doctors and, and complementary therapists, trained complementary therapists working alongside them. And, I, you know, just going back to that point um, before getting to the to the language point, which I also think is really important, is that the issue we really have here is the lack of regulation of training complementary therapists. Yeah. And not only that, but the lack of good enough training in yeah. this country. It is getting better. And, you know, there are some incredible institutions doing some amazing things. But, um, you know, a lot of the time when I'm giving uh, product advice for Biomedica, I am also mentoring. I am um, helping uh, people. I'm reminding people about um, pathology and and how the body works. Um, I am talking about the therapeutic relationship, which they haven't been taught properly. You know, they haven't been taught any um, reflective practice or mindful listening techniques. You know, there's there are so many areas that. Aren't, you know, if you if you train to be a doctor, it's X, Y, and Z, tick, 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 and every university has to follow that. If you train to be a complementary therapist, you know, there's yeah. no regulation here, and um, and I think I think that it really ties into your point about respect from GPs. How can we get respect from GPs if I'm trained completely different to the person next to me, but they haven't been able to get that training because it doesn't exist anymore? <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's we it's a real muddle it's a really difficult area it's very frustrating anyways that was just one point but the other thing was around you were asking about language and actually I had a point because we talked about this the other day because because the reason we had this started this conversation about language and Minha told me about the uh, the crumbling bones um thing was was I had a client a couple of weeks ago and she's such a lovely lady and she said I had to stop seeing my osteopath because when I would go in to see her, the first thing she would say to me is, how is the world treating you? And my thoughts were, I don't want the world to treat me. I've come here for you to treat me. (laughs) It was just such a lovely thing because I do think we throw it, we throw, I certainly throw language around without thinking about what I'm saying Um, and holding a space holding a therapeutic space with someone and and helping them feel safe with you and helping them feel not judged for what they're saying to you. Um, all of those things are extremely important in that, um, especially this complementary area, you need someone to tell you that they drink, uh, what was it yesterday? 
eight or 12 vodka and cokes on a Friday night was, was my lady yesterday. Wow. But, you know, I, I, for her to be able to tell me that, I've got to win her trust and think about the language I'm using and non, non-judgmental cues and all of those sort of things. So, yes, I think that space, that space, giving someone space to speak and not to judge and not to sort of throw language out there um, about their body crumbling or whatever it was is is extremely important more important than shoving a whole load of supplements into someone you know it's it's about them coming to see us and what they're getting from that interaction for themselves not for the therapist we should be completely egoless (laughs) it's that being heard thing isn't it it's that ability for someone to really hear what you're going through and then as you say building that trust because for her to say to you that she's drinking that much in a night that that is a a big share maybe it wasn't for her but for me I would think that's a really big share for her to you know a a show of confidence in you that she felt like she could say those sorts of things Uh, just a, a one quick question I have about that and when you're in sessions I mean as a practitioner myself I have you know we have more time Dr. Minha with our clients you know we've got an hour, hour and a half with them to go through those things. It just popped into my mind how that must, how does that, how is that for you? Because you're on a really strict timeline of you've got this much time to see your, your patients regardless. How is that for you? And how do you, how can you communicate effectively under such a restricted timeline? I don't know. Or does that, or are you just so efficient because you are efficient? You just got it under control that you... Oh, well, well, uh, thank you. I take that as, as a compliment. Well, to be very honest, I'm, I'm very fortunate in my, in my current setting where, you know, I am able to, uh, from an integrated and lifestyle medicine view, provide, you know, that sufficient 45 minutes to an hour to a patient. Mm-hmm. Yet, uh, reflecting back on the last, you know, 15 plus years, you know, in medicine, and going back to Lucy's point, you know, going back to training, for example... I'm just trying to sort of, you know, reflect back and think as, as to why are things the way they are, you know, and we, we, we try to learn from the past to be able to uh, predict the future or at least shape the future. And uh, going back to training, um, simply because everything's been such a firefighting approach, you know, um, in, in, in the medical world. And this really stems back from, you know, the days when penicillin was invented and, you know, certain surgical techniques were invented to save lives. My understanding is that uh, things are done in a limited period of, period of time, thinking about what is it that I can make better now? Almost like, you know, firefighting, firefighting. Whereas, you know, in the alternative and complementary medicine world, because the time is there, you know, the practitioner has perhaps the opportunity to go back as to what was root cause analysis. So we're looking at two, two ends of the string. In conventional medicine, you know, you got your five minutes with your GP. Basically, the GP is thinking, what is it that I can do now in this moment at this appointment to make things better? And ends up, you know, all the, you know, it's, it's got good intentions, but it does end up, you know, becoming the sticky tape, you know, the sticky plaster, just to put a little bit of a, a stop to the symptoms. Whereas, as I said, you know, from the complementary medicine world, that time is available to go back to root cause analysis. So wonderful it would be, to be honest, to have a combination of this where, you know, um, should I need, you know, for example, some suturing done? Yes, I can go to my GP, uh, so to say. Or if I have a, a bad case of, you know, of, of an infection, um, yes, of course, you know, I need those antibiotics. But then 
really, um, I should be looking at, you know, perhaps what is it that I can be doing as a patient? Or then if I'm a GP, I could say, well, hang on, why are you getting these recurrent infections? Why are you coming to me every two weeks? Let's look at your, you know, let's look at your overall conditioning. Let's look at your immune system. And that's then, you know, when we say, well, let's look at your nutrition. And perhaps, you know, as a doctor, I would say, you know, well, here is a good person who is, you know, able to look after your nutrition, give you some good sound advice. Coming back to training, um, Lucy, now what I must say is that I think different stages of training, you know, in, in different fields, and I think this is across the board when you look at, you know, healthcare, so to say, when you're a baby doctor as compared to when you become a, a mid-career doctor to when you become a more experienced doctor, we're all learning as we go along. And you're right, there are some very good examples of good practice. It's being able to build on that. It's being able to build on that, that, you know, we can really, really, you know, get all our colleagues um, on the stage, so to say, on the platform of being able to appreciate what we call conscious and unconscious areas of competence. Not to say that, you know, anybody is stepping out of zone at this point in time, but sometimes because we don't, we don't know what we don't know, you know, we can only work within, within a certain parameter. Does that help? Yes. Yes, it's it's really helpful. It's it's um, I, I'm pausing because I mean, there's so much that we can you know we can talk about, and so I'm where I'm stuck is um you know with you talking about the language and the training is really just thinking how we move this, where we go with this conversation now, and steps. Could I maybe make a small suggestion here, if if it helps, in terms of practical take-home points, um, you know, for the listeners who I believe, you know, will be practitioners across the board, uh, Lucy and I have already discussed this, um, you know, uh, what makes a good referral letter, you know, both ways, basically, uh, either from, you know, uh, an alternative complementary practitioner to their, uh, to the patient's GP, should there be a red flag or need for more investigations and vice versa. So Lucy, maybe over to yourself, you know, your experiences of, you know, good, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, obviously I, I've been doing this for 10 years, so I, I have a really mixed experience of working um, to refer people back. And I, and I strongly, put myself in the complementary uh, box, not the alternative box, um, which can be difficult, you know, uh, because people will come and they're already on some quite um, strong medications, um, but trying to work within those parameters. But yes, I think writing to the GP, referring to the GP, red flags, that kind of thing is is something um, that, that, you know, hopefully most people are well trained in um but yeah i think uh the red flags thing is is a good one and i think an interesting area to start in that of course we're given a sort of list of things that we're supposed to send someone back to the doctor for and they're you know obviously the serious ones but when they're the sort of more i mean i suppose i don't want to use the word fluffy but but they're things that we as complementary therapists think oh that 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 thyroid needs checking or ooh, that that uh, anemia needs checking or whatever it can be it can be more difficult um and this is where it gets a bit um thorny I guess because you know we're trained to write a letter and you know you write the person's uh, date of birth and their name and their full address and and you know this is how you phrase the letter but there is this difficult bit of language where um a GP might get a little bit uppity that a complementary therapist 
has said, oh, hang on a minute, the doctor's missed this. Or hang on a minute, if they're going to pay privately for uh, her, why isn't she doing these tests privately? So I guess uh, what we need to kind of talk about and think about and what might be helpful for listeners is um, that bit around the language that we use as complementary therapists, giving really clear reasons why this is going back through the GP. Also, the other bit I, I would love to chat about is if we've done private tests, so the completely other way around, and maybe autoimmunity has come up on that. Well, what do we do then? Should we refer back to the doctor? What, what, what do we do? Because that, again, is extremely frightening for a complementary practitioner to be there you are on your own in your own yeah. clinic can't hop into the other room and go oh my god so and so's results have come in and I don't know what to do um so I think there's sort of two sides of that it's quite a lot there but um yeah over to to uh, Dr Minha <laughs> <laughs> wow Lucy wow gosh you know, um uh, and this is so beautiful beautiful you know I mean uh, the 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 richness of you know of, of clinical practice you know knowledge experience and skills um yeah. you know I've actually been um at both ends um, so perhaps um, uh, I shall I shall maybe start off, you know, with my uh, experience as an osteopath and naturopath writing to patients, GPs, because, you know, that's what I trained as first. Yeah. And um, I was I used to work, I, I had special permission to work through my medical school years as well um, as an osteopath and naturopath. And what was interesting is that I would actually have, you know, the pain clinic, the rheumatologists and the orthopods, the orthopedic surgeons uh, refer their you know, complex cases uh, to me. And uh, what was very insightful is that I was always very aware that, you know, I'm, I'm writing this letter as an, as an osteopath, as a naturopath. And what I would do is um, I would actually follow, as you said, you know, the, the usual regular structure. So that's a bit of familiarity for the clinician, for the medical practitioner, I would always, you know, use the words like consent and, you know, um, you know, you make sure you, you obviously structure it out well. That's that's a given. But what I would do is I would do the presenting um, complaint very much in a medical format. You know, this patient presents with neuralgia, you know, in the left arm, basically. So, uh, uh, of course, the patient would have other ways of describing their pain, but I would try to frame that, you know, to the medical practitioner in their language almost. So that would catch their attention. And then what I would do is I would say things along the lines, you know, this is part of our good practice that we would do. You know, I've looked at the reflexes, you know, I've been able to do a particular orthopedic test. So that, again, sort of, you know, helps the medical practitioner appreciate that, you know, that I've done things that they would normally be doing. And then I would introduce, you know, going back to um, you know, the concept of structure and then substance. So then substance, I would put in a little bit more information because I'm building a case. You know, so we talk about structure, good layout, substance, building a case. My strategy then after that would be like something along the lines of, you know, um, having assessed this patient, I would be very grateful and a little bit of humility, um, you know, come in to say, I'll be very grateful for your opinion on further investigations. I tell you why, because I was once stung a little bit, you know, when I went ahead and I, in my capacity as an osteopath and naturopath, outwardly just, you know, I was very bold and I said, you know, can you please organize an MRI for this patient? And I realized that now, you know, being a doctor and an experienced doctor, I like to be given the chance to make my own decision rather than someone tell me what to right. do. And I think it's very subtle, very, very subtle. So 
what I've done is I've almost like adopted this even now in my in my medical practice, where if I write to a fellow medical practitioner, what I do is, you know, going back to what I said, structure, you know, a nice worded letter in the language that the recipient, you know, will hopefully be able to recognize and be able to empathize with, number one. Number two, substance, appropriate substance in it. And in terms of the strategy, I'd always say, I'd be very grateful for your opinion and your assistance in further investigations as per your clinical decision-making, which then puts the ball back into their court. And it's almost a way of being able to get them, you know, the recipient to then sort of say, okay, let's be, in, let's, let's be a partnership in this. And let me see what we can do. So I've had neurologists come back to me and say that, well, actually, um, we could do an MRI, but also let's do a nerve conduction study. So this is a bit like a bonus here, you know, I've been able to get in addition to that. Um, or then I've been able to have perhaps an orthopedic surgeon coming back and saying that, okay, yes, I think, you know, uh, we should we should do an MRI scan here to look out for ligamentous injury. However, given this uh, patient's risk profile, why don't we organize for a bone scan to check for osteoporosis risk? You know, so I actually end up getting more than what I actually asked for on behalf of the patient. Okay. A little bit about the science and going back to structure, substance and strategy. And then, of course, yes, uh, sadly, we will get, you know, cases where people are maybe having a bit of a bad day and they're wondering as to why has so-and-so been writing to me. But I guess that, you know, that is something that we shouldn't then take personally, as long as we're doing things with the right intention for the patient. Lucy? So that was really helpful. Thank you, Dr. Yeah, Minha. I mean, I guess, what about this other side? And where do you think we sit as complementary therapists? So um, like, you know, a couple of examples, I, I was working with someone and I have, she had a family history of ulcerative colitis, and the doctor just wasn't being very helpful. Also a lot of celiac in her family. So so we did do a stool test and um, tested for calprotectin and, and, a, and a few other things. And I mean, this was a good story because actually as soon as all those markers came up, which I knew they would, I sent her straight back to the doctor and she was handled in the, in the proper way. And she actually, you know, she did need hospitalization. She was really, really unwell. Mm. Um, but just that wasn't being listened to by the GP because, well, some women aren't, you know, and, um, so I, I think that was a success story because I said, look, we've just now got to take this test result back and go. But, um, you know, I have had other situations where I've had blood tests and, and someone's thyroid has had clear autoimmune issue. And I've said to them, I think you kind of need to go back to the doctor and have a chat and they don't want to. And, you know, you're then put because we're not protected in the same way as doctors are protected. You're then put in this yeah. position what would your advice be to that complementary therapist they've got this test result back it's come back with something autoimmune i think with it with with that kind of thing you know thyroid particularly you know we see this a lot um what would your advice be for for somebody in that position such a good question well you know actually this is you know really the the the, the real crux of clinical practice where um you know we are dealing with uncertainty and uh, uh, what I what I gather here are actually um, three parts to this. Number one, when you have uh, you know you have a hunch as a, as a clinician in your in your practice that a patient's got something not right, and they are obviously presenting to their GP, but you know the GP does not seem to be listening to them or does not seem to be taking action, so to say. 
So that's one. That's one. The other um, area here is, you know, to do with potentially the, how to deal with unexpected findings, an example yeah. of the autoimmune condition. And the third one also that, you know, came to mind is that, you know, you have a potentially unexpected finding, but then your client's relationship with the GP has broken to such an extent that they do not want the GP to be informed about this. You know, these are three very, very key areas that we've just been able to distill, crystallize from what we've just been saying. And um, Lucy, you know, as an experienced practitioner, I'm sure you must have come across these, these situations, you know, um, in, in your practice, as I have, being on, you know, both sides of conventional medicine and, of course, uh, in my in my uh, work uh, across the bridge in the complementary alternative medicine world. Now, one thing to bear in mind is that it's about systems. You see, if you're a GP, basically, and you know a patient tells you something, gives you symptoms, and uh, says to you something, you always have an opportunity to see them back again. Because, you know, you have a certain degree of accessibility, you know, you can always, you know, ask your, you know, receptionist to call the patient back again and say, oh, by the way, um, you saw Dr. So-and-so, you know, three days ago, they want to see you again. Um, or then if you're, if you're in hospital medicine, your patient is technically speaking, you know, they're, you know, in ward four, and you just have to walk down and get this test done. The difficulty we have in the holistic medicine world, should I say, is that because a patient is usually paying for their own appointment, we don't have that luxury. We actually do not have that, that opportunity. I would actually even call it more of a necessity rather than luxury. You know, we don't have that opportunity of being able to call the patient back in unless they're really engaged. And that's usually at a cost. I know of many holistic practitioners, you know, who actually do a follow-up for free, you know, or at no charge because they are concerned about the patient and they really want to get to the bottom of things. So the first thing I'd say regarding this is a system. Coming back to the second point was to do with you know, an unexpected finding is that, again, if you're within the system and you get some bloods, you know, flagging up abnormal result, usually the lab will call up the practice, you know, the GP surgery and say, so-and-so patient potassium is, you know, is unacceptably high or low. Let's get them sorted. Or then a patient's, you know, blood count, you know, is not right. And usually the biochemist, you know, system in the NHS, who will have even a, a red flag system on the weekends and on bank holidays, it, it's working. What happens is that holistic practitioners can be quite isolated in practice where, you know, they, they open up their private medical testing lab link. Obviously, it's all secure by email, seven o'clock in the evening, and suddenly they find this abnormal result. I've had an instance where a patient's magnesium levels were out with, and obviously, um, when I called them, you know, they were experiencing palpitations. And then, of course, I had to liaise with the NHS direct and, uh, you know, get this patient uh, seen by the out-of-hours GP. And then the case goes on. And even as a doctor working with my holistic medicine hat, I, uh, you know, I, I was asked a lot of questions, you know, where were these bloods done? When were they done? Why were they done? You know, uh, I was also asked the question, who paid for them? You know, so, so these, are, these are hoops that we are all having to face collectively because we are working with different systems here. And therefore, what to do when you come to an unexpected finding is, you know, I have an unexpected findings form that I usually uh, have ready. It's like a little template. And, you know, we can, we can easily make this in our practice, depending on where you are. And it's really to say, dear GP, I have consulted patient so-and-so on this date. With their consent, you know, we've done some tests. Um, and I'm writing with their consent to say that, uh, basically, this is where uh, we've found X, Y, and Z the liver function test could have been abnormal, for example, or they could have come back with a very high HbA1c and they're not diagnosed as, a, as, as having diabetes. 
um, would be very, uh, and usually I just attach, you know, with the patient's consent, you know, a copy of those results. And I say um, something along the lines of, I've asked the patient to come and see you and I've given them a copy of this letter. We'd be very grateful for your uh, for your for, for your support. I think the word support is a very useful word to use, I've found in clinical practice. And then therefore that, you know, almost shares the responsibility and the ownership of this, you know, uh, between yourself and the patient and the GP. So that's to do, you know, when the patient is engaging and, you know, they're, they're really grateful that this has come through as an unexpected finding, which then leads me to the next scenario, where is, which is, you know, you have an unexpected finding and for some reason, either the patient's not got a GP or they've moved area or they do not want the GP to know. And that, that's when I really, I utterly, utterly honest and I say to the patient, look, these results have come through. This could be due to a number of reasons. If I'm talking from my capacity as a holistic practitioner, I'll be very honest and say to the patient, I'm not in the position to be able to give you the best of what I could give you until this is further explored. Lovely language. Absolutely. So this is where, you know, and really just being honestly honest and human and saying to the patient, look, you know, you've come to see me. I understand your relationship with the GP might not be 100% or I understand you may not have a GP right now. Um, but I really can't do my best for you until we look at this, because this is something that I'm concerned about for you as a well-wisher, as, as your holistic practitioner. So I just wanted to say it's really interesting because I think it then goes back to that point that more onus sometimes is put on that complementary practitioner because they've tried the GP and, and, it, and it hasn't happened for them. Yeah. So then you get these test results and da di da di da and the patient doesn't want you to contact the doctor with them and and you are then in this sort of murky gray area of practice you know suddenly do I work with this person or not and and I think I mean it was I love that use of language you had it was really nice the the other thing though that that really triggered for me is is I had a call last week from a gorgeous client I was working with her last year and her HbA1c was through the roof so she came to me and, and we did a lot of blood sugar balance work and she's a very slim, active lady. And she rang me the other day to say it was still through the roof and it's the only marker that's out. And the doctor had just said, oh, you, I'm referring you to the diabetes clinic. And so she rang me up and she said, well, I feel really guilty because I'm doing, I'm already doing through you all the stuff that they would say, you know, I'm following a low GI diet and doing all the things and I exercise. So I'm taking someone else's place on that course. But the second thing is I said to her is, you know, this is a slim active woman following a blood sugar balance diet. She's done all these things and her HbA1c has still not come down. All her other metabolic markers are fine. I'm sorry, but there's something else wrong. You and and I like without frightening her, I was thinking, you know, because obviously I had a little Google and thought, right, what else can HbA1c? And I thought, well, you know, then I'm in this again in this position as a practitioner, a complementary practitioner with no one else in the room supporting me, going, I, I think you should probably go back to your GP and say, I'm sorry, but you need to further investigate why my HbA1c is high. And I said, I don't want to frighten you, but there are other reasons that that is still high. And you've done all of this work. It's no way blood sugar balance stuff now, you know. So we do end up in this sort of sticky, sticky little area, I think, um, as practitioners um, outside 
outside this 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 medical realm and trying to do the best for this person and be on it and and get them back in there you know it's it's it can be really hard and not tell them what you think it could potentially <laughs> be because it puts us in a compromising position 100%. because we're not allowed to say those sorts of things so how exactly. how do you get them to move into talking to their gp and, and go, be taken seriously yes. by that gp you yes. know um i mean I mean, it was 48, her, her HbA1c. Um, and then they, you know, uh, anyway, there we go. Um, so you, you've actually touched on, on, on a couple of points here. I think the, uh, and, and as Deb had said, you know, um, sometimes holistic practitioners can feel themselves being, being put into a bit of a difficult situation because, you know, of course, you know, you have a patient, you know, they're consulting you because they feel that, you know, um, that they could be able to, let's say, uh, get, you know, um, a second opinion, third opinion, yet, you know, you know that there are some things that, that stand out as red flags. Now, what I have really um, learned over the years is that there's some things that are non-negotiable, right? So an elevated HbA1c is a red flag, and I will make sure that I communicate to the patient that this needs to be looked at this needs further investigation diabetes we know you know impaired glucose control has so many manifestations and often often you know microangiopathy damage to the eyes damage to the nerves you know we don't have to really go into the whole physiology to know that this could be the tip of the iceberg now what you just said there is that the patient was feeling guilty for taking a place on, on a healthy eating course for diabetes. And usually this is depending on where they are. They have various kinds of you know, healthy eating support groups, et cetera, et cetera, because the patient feels that they've taken the onus to see yourself. What I always say to the patient is, you know what, you will never know if you've never tried. And it's about, you know, looking after the patient's um, uh, expectation here as well. Um, yes, patients see us for a number of reasons. And what I would say is always encouraging the patient themselves to make an informed decision by exploring both sides of the equation. And especially for what we call non-negotiable conditions. So let's say HbA1c, as we've just talked about, a renal function going off. People are very keen to do all sorts of, you know, dietary adjustments, you know, sometimes without supervision. The question is who really monitors their renal function? Liver function, really important, really important. You know, we, we, we talk about um, patients, you know, with inflammatory markers, patients who have perhaps, you know, active um, rheumatic conditions and who want to suddenly cut down their steroids. You know, I would never recommend that without a proper supervision and plan. So what I tend to do is integrate into my practice you know, and bringing together my doctor head and my holistic head is to say that, you know, there are certain things that I will do at the outset. And one of them is on my consulting form and questionnaire, I will have the sentence to say that should there be any unexpected findings, which is what we just talked about, do you give me permission to be in touch with your GP? And, you know, that in a way has worked really well because the patients almost feel that, that therefore that I could be that little bridge between them and the GP. And they could have had perhaps that, you know, nasty experience or a difficult experience or seen a GP who's not familiar with them or felt unheard or unlistened to for whatever reason. Let's put aside that clinically speaking for the patient as a practitioner in whatever setting, either as a holistic practitioner or as a fellow medical practitioner, as long as I can be the voice for the patient within, you know, appropriate remit of the clinical consultation with the patient's permission, that can really, really help these communications and dialogues.
and just giving the patient that opportunity would be really helpful. Lucy, I think I can see. I can. I'm see. holding my finger up. Sorry, we, we're actually yeah, all to, we can all see each other. We we're talking on Zoom. I'm yeah. holding my finger up. I was like, I've got another question, and I think I think it kind of touches on something you just said, and I'm sure other listeners will appreciate this question because another thing um, that that we often get is people wanting to come down off medications. Yes. So you know, you That's mentioned huge. steroids. Um, I mean, I, I often have people coming for anxiety type medications, um, and, you know, I make sure they go back and get this consent from the doctor and, and the doctor's always fine. And we do it very slowly and very carefully, but actually I'm um, working with a, with a lady at the moment who was put on pain medication for a bulging disc a year ago. She's a young woman totally can't come off it because she gets terrible rebound and gets you know really really bad withdrawal so she's been stuck on this pain medication and she came to me for other things but I was like this is so clouded by by this medication we need to get you down and off it so I found a a medical paper <laughs> talking about rebound talking about pain medication this medication is mentioned and I, I sent her this paper because she's in the, the medical world herself. And I said, have a look at this and go back to your doctor because you need to tell the doctor that you're addicted to this, this medication. Uh, she went back to the doctor and the doctor said, I've never heard of that. No, you're not. So you know, it's, it's just interesting, isn't it? It's like you, you're trying so hard to be complementary and so hard to integrate. And it, it's anyway, we, we are going to slowly, slowly start uh, working on very, very slowly reducing it together. But again, I still now have to think about this GP who I now need to write to and say, she's come to me for this. This is the, uh, this is the medication and her issues and we're, we're going to bring her down off it. And again, it's like this sort of whole area where here you are kind of out on this slight limb because the she's gone and told her GP something and they've not believed her when it's been her experience this is what she is going through and she's not being listened to sorry getting a bit uh, emotional no, there but it's a common it's a common thing and, and not even just with having an issue with taking medication it's having an issue with someone who's in intense pain I've had clients that have gone to see their GPs and their 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 doctors to to say I am in constant pain I've got all this they've done all the tests and they say everything's fine and you just go you know you're fine so there's all of that and how do you work with that because we know that there is something that is not right and how do we this again goes back to our language the the building relationship and really building trust and I think it's that essence of as uh, Dr. Minha said so nicely about trying to find the ways to get the support from them and understand. So uh, that would, some, it'd be really interesting to hear your input, Dr. Minha. Well, um, you know, Lucy um, and Deb, um, um, first of all, I'm really sorry. And I, and I do find myself apologizing <laughs> to patients, you know, especially if they've had a bad experience from either end, you know, so to say, either the, you know, the conventional medical end or perhaps from a holistic therapist. Of course. And, and, and in a way, actually, you know, I, it doesn't make me a smaller person. It actually helps me to, in a way, uh, engage with the person to almost, for them, I've been taught, given this as feedback, for them to know that somebody human, you know, listened to what they had to say and could perhaps appreciate, and I use the word here, uh, empathize, not sympathize, empathize and acknowledge that they've gone through this pain, you know, this, the pain of, of having a pain, so to say. 
And what it brings me to think about is why is it that, you know, we hear that so-and-so healthcare practitioner did not listen to me. And I sort of think along the lines of, you know, you can only use the cards that you have in your pack. You can only use the tools or the strategies that you've been taught. And one of the reasons, going back to what we talked about, curiosity, why is it that conventional you know, medical doctors are looking outwards towards other realms of healing and modalities? Lucy, why do people come to talk to yourself? Deb, why do people want to have a chat with yourself? It's because if you've only got a certain number of ingredients, you can only bake a certain number of recipes, just to give you an example. And uh, it's, it's very much these kinds of dialogues that we are having that are going to pave the way for, you know, adding further ingredients, so to say, so we can make more and more recipes, if I was to put it in a very metaphorical way. So coming back to patience and listening and appreciating information, two things here. It's not only about uh, taking a person off their medication, reducing polypharmacy, which is a good practice, done in conjunction with the GP. But it's also about, you know, when patients are being put onto supplements and herbs, that we all have a responsibility as a, in, from a holistic practitioner sense to make sure that these medication, that these herbs are not going to interact with their medication, what we yes. call herb drug interactions. And I know that, you know, having discussed cases with Lucy, this is something that Lucy does, you know, as, as part of your, you know, regular practice where you actually look up, you know, certain herbs and double check just to make sure that they're not affecting the liver's enzymatic systems, et cetera, et cetera. So that as a medical practitioner, therefore, then gives me the confidence to want to be able to refer a patient to a person like Lucy in Lucy's naturopathic setting, because I know that Lucy will, have, will do that. Now, how many GPs know that, you know, that well-trained holistic practitioners will do that as part of their regular history taking and protocol planning? So again, it's about, you know, information. It's about, you know, having these discussions. And yes, it's true. That sometimes it can be uh, you know, quite uh, taxing or it can be quite draining when you listen to these sorts of scenarios where a patient comes back and says that, you know, the GP did not listen to them. I sometimes feel it's also worthwhile just exploring the context in how discussions were made uh, or how discussions went about. Because sometimes patients can, can, can just go and say to the GP, I want to come off my medication. But the GP thinks, you know, hang on, but I don't have anything to replace the medication with. So we might as well not come off the medication in the first place because, you know, they do not have a replacement or an option. There have been some healthcare trusts where strategies like acupuncture have had to be withdrawn because of funding issues. So previously, when a GP might have, you know, been receptive to medication, you know, being either reduced or a patient coming off a medication, and there was a possibility of this patient being referred to an acupuncture clinic, for example, within the setting, or a CBT or some sort of counselling, when those options are taken away from the, from the GP, the GP might not feel very, very um, safe or might not feel comfortable taking away every strategy. So just looking at it from their perspective. I think that's a very good point, Minha. Yeah. And actually, yeah. you know, I think I think I, while you're talking, I was thinking, I, you know, I'm just giving the bad examples because I have so many... <laughs> Extraordinarily <laughs> wonderful GPs yeah. that have been so happy that that person is seeing someone and coming yeah. off their anxiety medication and we're doing it really sensibly or, you know, whatever it is that that's being done. I mean, I've had GPs where 
been thyroid stuff or something and and they just printed them out and said here give these to lucy because she'll be able to interpret this better than i can you know i mean i've had an incredible journey on a positive side and and it, i think it's really important let's let's give that a bit of space because um i think there are some really really receptive gps to to what we are doing as as complementary therapists and i do feel that we're very very supported by a lot of general practitioners absolutely just, just for the record. <laughs> oh, 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 come on. I think it's a process. And isn't it amazing that, you know, just by being able to have this kind of, you know, very sort of, you know, from the heart kind of discussion that, you know, uh, we realize that putting things into context as to sort of, it's all a bit like sort of what is there in the cup that we can be able to give to the patient? Remember, we have to look after ourselves in the process as well. <laughs> and uh, yes, there will be some, some instances where, you know, you can do everything very wholeheartedly with good intentions and maybe not get the result that you you were hoping for but just perhaps being able to go back to what we said about this communication just let's for a moment put ourselves into the shoes of you know of that gp uh, or that consultant uh, or then you know it, vice versa i would say also to my fellow medical colleagues you know for when they're writing a letter sometimes you know i've received a stroppy letter from a consultant or you know from a fellow medical practitioner along the lines of you know okay um so what do you think this is all about but maybe just taking a step back and saying, you know, why is it that we're doing this? It's, you know, we, it's because we're trying to progress the patient's, you know, recovery a little bit in the right direction, a further baby step in the right direction. And if we're able to just bear that you know, at the core of these communications, perhaps we'll take out a little bit of the aggro, so to say, and <laughs> angst. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully, when the patient sees us, you know, lead by example, that might make them understand that potentially we, we're not able to perhaps cure everybody. We know that, but we can give people coping strategies. And as long as people are able to know as to what is possible for them, it gives them a very realistic idea of what's possible. Uh, in the short, medium and long term. I think that's so nicely put of, of really putting them at the core of it all, which we do, of course, when they're sitting in front of us, but also it's using them as the example for when we're communicating with conventional practitioners, with the GPs and, and how we utilize those words. And there's so many takeaways from this, this discussion that we've had and we've hit our time frame. I told you that it was going to only just start to scratch the surface. So I think, you know, what you both have shared in your experiences from both sides and how the meeting in the middle is really can be such a, a fantastic, sometimes quite edgy thing, but really on the whole, a really fantastic thing. And, and how you ended it up by saying, giving the patient or our clients, as we call them, some way so they can either cope or feel as best as they can. And at the end of the day, that's really what we're all trying to achieve, really. So thank you for that. And what I would love to do is, you know, you know what I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask, we should do another one. <laughs> I'd love to do some sort of series or something to talk about if you all if you both are up to it to to find ways to address this and take it further because you're both doing fantastic things out there with practitioners on both sides and in and those the integrative practitioners and I think there's so much that we can all learn from your thought leadership and how you're really doing some groundbreaking stuff which is exciting so I'd love to have you back again at some point in time. 
Um, thank you so much, Deb. Um, for the listeners here, you know, I I'm smiling, Lucy's smiling, and so is Deb. <laughs> anything, you know, we're all making the world a better place, one at a time, and it's being able to work together that, you know, can really, 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 really make a total, total difference. So thank you so much once again. Yeah, thank you very much for having us, Deb. It's It's been a joy. And I have to say, you know, a few positive things have come out of this very unusual year. And one of them is is getting to know you both. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, thank you. Oh, that's just been brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you indeed. Well, folks, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed sitting in and listening in to Dr. Minha and Lucy sharing so much valuable information. I found it insightful and informative, and I hope that you did as well. And I appreciate their taking time out of their hectic schedules to have the discussion with me. So if you would like to get in touch with them, I'll provide relevant details on the show notes and you can always send me a message if you would like to get in touch with them also. They are inspiring women who are achieving so many great things and I love meeting and continuing to hear these stories from a variety of people who really are working together and wanting to work alongside one another so we are there to help our clients improve their health and well-being and own their health. So, as you know, there are going to be a few other things that I'm going to talk with you about. And one of them is, you absolutely know it, you have got to bounce soft to feel good. And what can I say? What can I say? What more can I tell you about that Belican other than you ought to try it out for yourself? Research is showing that bouncing and rebounding is one of the best ways and the easiest ways to improve your health and well-being. But don't just take my word for it. Check it out and check out the website. There are links on my show notes so you you can find out more details or you can send me an email. I'd also like to remind you that the event that we were going to have in September has been rescheduled to March 27th. We're going to have it one way or the other. I'm hoping it will be in person, but Anita Beardsley of Love Nutrition and I are delighted to say that we have Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Elizabeth Phillips, sports medicine physio Claire Sinton and Dr. Caroline Gilmartin joining us. We'll also have them on my podcast throughout the next few months so they can share tidbits and helpful information with you along the way. So be sure and watch this space and please put that date in your diary. I'd also like to ask you to do a couple of other things with regards to my podcast. If you haven't done so already, please leave me a review and thank you to those of you who have and also spread the word, share this with other people that you think might find it of value. I'd also like to say to you, I know we are all living in such an extraordinary time in our lives. I hope that you are finding people that can support you. I hope that you have a really good support network in place so you are able to continue to thrive and be as well as you possibly can. So then, thank you again so much for taking the time out to listen to my shows. And until next time, I'd like to wish you and yours the very best of health. Bye for now.